Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. It's not that often we get Keith Price on our show. Keith, he is a multi-hyphenate. He is a comedian, an actor, a writer, a podcaster, a broadcaster extraordinaire. He was the first openly gay black host here at SiriusXM, co-anchoring the morning show on the Late Lamented Breakthrough channel, OutQ. Be sure to treat your brain to his wonderful Broadway podcast, Keith Price's Curtain Call. He is our comedy daddy. Happy birthday, Keith. Hey, hey, hey. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's so exciting to just be 30 again. I know. Congratulations. (laughs) I mean, God, 29. You look great. I'll tell you. For 30, (laughs) you know, I've been working really hard. (laughs) So how was the birthday? How, How are you doing? I am really, really well. I It's been kind of a week of theater for me. So I've been having a really great time leading up to tonight. And yeah, man, it's it's crazy. Uh, you know, life has handed me some very interesting choices of things to do, like things that you and I could talk about off air first before I feel like we could share on air. But let me tell you, man, <laughs> the universe is really vast when she's ready to to do things for you. She can help you in one spot and then kick you right in the throat in the next one. And you're just kind of like, wow, I'm alive. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's scary. I mean, change, you know, change is the one constant in life, but I'll tell you, I mean, fate just intervenes and some of us spend years praying that something changes in our life. Some of us spend years dreading change in our life. Some of us want change while also dreading it at the same time. I mean, you, you went through (laughs) a big breakup this year. This was a, you've had a pretty dramatic, there's a lot of stuff going on, man. Like, you know, breakup, you know, job hunting, still trying to get, you know, spots and do comedy, but then at the same time, keeping my theater love together, you know, trying to do interviews. It's like, it's just, it's interesting how everything is happening all at once. And now I have to start like, you know, grabbing at everything, every opportunity that I get. So yes. yeah, it's been, <laughs> it's, it's I been will quite say, a challenge. You are, you are I'm my here. one, you're my one contact, uh, my one, you know, like, like uh, a tie to Broadway because you are, you are still, I've only seen one show since the pandemic has, has sort of begun to end. It's not, it hasn't, wow. it's, goddamn it's pandemic. not over, but yeah, no, it's not over, I, it's but you're, been, you're going to see shows. I've seen I've one off Broadway, one off Broadway, one Broadway show, but what, what, what have you been seeing this week, Keith? Cause what, what, well, what should the tourists come my, to New York to catch? The, well, the tourists, I don't know if they're going to be hot particularly about these these two Broadway shows, only because 
either the subject matter is going to be kind of strange for them or it's you know it's just too it's too real as the kids would say you got um, dramas this week you're not you you didn't go to see freaking aladdin this week you went to see some real serious drama i saw some, some serious stuff so i saw sunday i just saw the show open tonight actually uh for colored girls who've considered suicide when the rainbow is enough the intozaki play Yes, it's which like, came out in the 1970s, right? The original from the production. 70s, yeah. And then they did a revival, I think, like in the 90s, and then uh, of Tyler course Tyler Perry, Perry did, a did a, a movie version of it, which I, you know, yeah. no one knows about that. No one knows. No one about knows. It. Yeah. They don't even talk about it anymore. But baby, let Tyler me tell Perry's you. Tyler Perry's version was just called Four Color Girls, right? He didn't use the whole title of the play. I don't think he used the whole title. Yeah, he just and he did some stuff to anyway. Intozaki got a check, I'm sure, for it. (laughs) But this thing, this thing that's happening now at at the Booth Theater, John, let me tell you something. I have never, it's like, you know, slam poetry and all that other stuff is something that I never really found myself doing. But there are some moments in this piece that are like slam poetry, but they are just so right on. Like, it's just like, it's it's these these women. I'm telling you, it's the cast of women that are leading this this charge. One of my favorites in, in the show is a drama desk nominated woman. Her name is Kenita Miller, and she is pregnant right now, oh. and she's on stage creating art at the same time while she's simultaneously creating life at the same time. And it's like, if that is not more black woman energy than you can ever handle on stage, I think she's having a girl too. So it's just like, she's got all of this black woman energy that's happening. And it's like, I don't think that there's been anything this fierce on Broadway in a long time. And right now, you know, there's a whole lot of of black themed shows, black energy things, but this is one of the few that has all women there's even a woman who's who's deaf and signs. Oh wow! Some of this as well, and it's all spearheaded by this fabulous woman. Her name is Camille A. Brown. Please remember her name. She is the director and the choreographer. And she, I met her when she uh, was nominated for a Tony for choreographing Once on This Island. And it turns out that she's like this particular year. She is the first black woman to not only direct but to also choreograph a show on Broadway. She's mm-hmm. also the first black woman to direct a show <laughs> at the Met because <laughs> they did a Porgy and Bess, this huge opera style thing of Porgy and Bess that she choreographed, which is something that you don't usually hear happening at the Met. So she choreographed this opera right. and she is, I'm telling you, man, this, this woman is doing some serious work on the theater stage. And I'm telling you, you will not see anything more fierce, more crisp, more precise than this particular show. So, you know, you know shout what's amazing about this? I, this is so inspiring because, like, just the other night, I finally got around to watching um, the great Japanese film that won the Oscar this year, uh, Drive oh. My Car, which is about a production of Uncle Vanya, where the cast is in Japanese and Mandarin and Korean and English and uh, sign language. And, you know, it was only 10 years ago that Hamilton, it was 10 years ago Hamilton came to Broadway, right? Where people were so shocked that you would see African-Americans playing George Washington, that you would see three women of three different races, uh, a white woman, a black woman, and an Asian woman playing the Schuyler sisters. And now it almost seems quaint that we were so shocked by that. I'm hearing about this production of 1776 they're bringing back to Broadway that has zero, zero white men 
in the entire cast. It's all non-white, and it's very frequently non-binary as well, right? Like there's there's a little just... bit of everything, but it's it's virtually all women. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if there's any non-binary energy. That's I mean, in terms of how they're describing themselves off stage, but. Right. This particular production, I mean, I I haven't heard anything. I do know somebody that's in the show, but they're like sworn to secrecy about what they can talk about. I know but, someone in it too, yeah. Yeah, and the thing is, is that they are, they are very, very, sh- like, they're going out of their way to really make an effort to revive the show in a way that it's never been done before, which is the way you like to see a revival done, like, bring me something that that wasn't in the original that we can see and maybe it helps open the story up even more and that's what they're doing with that one but that's going to actually have um a debut in boston in may and then it's going to come to broadway late september october is when they're going to be doing the show there so it's going to be that's going to be the hot ticket for next season which i'm looking forward to and then tonight i saw how i learned to drive the paula vogel play Man, that is some. Um, yeah. Now, now, let me just let me just ooh, some heavy, let me just, heavy for those stuff, honey. for those who don't know for those who don't know how I learned to drive was a big hit ten to twenty years ago. Twenty years ago, um, yep. and and it, it's it's about uh, a man interfering with a young woman, and then they interact later. Uh, of yeah. course, we've seen other plays like this. We had Jeff Bridges on, uh, not Jeff Bridges, was, Jeff Daniels was on our show. Yes. He was in Blackbird, Blackbird with Michelle Williams. That was Ooh. an amazing play. I actually saw How I Learned to Drive, the West Coast production, which Molly Ringwald was in. But um, the, the new production you're talking about is the original cast. It's, it's Mary, the original cast with um, uh, Mary David Parker. Morse and um, is it Mary Louise Parker. Yeah. Mary Louise Parker. And, yeah. And and uh, Johanna Day is in it as well. Who was I'm not sure what her role was originally, but she's now in this cast as well. And you know they've got two new people that are in there as well. And it like they're kind of filling in all of the other characters that are are missing for the rest of the story. But I got to tell you, it's like <laughs> whenever you <laughs> you know when you have an uncle with like boundary issues, <laughs> it just it just makes well, for such an awkward kind of conversation. But that's but what Paula it's about. Vogel, I mean, you know, she's it, a genius. So. And this is actually her Pulitzer Prize winning play too, if I'm not mistaken. That and this and this is I think the first time they're doing it on Broadway because when it was, it was out, it was done off Broadway, and then it's kind of become a regional play favorite that lots of people are doing everywhere. So, so it's interesting because 20 years ago, a play about sex abuse, a play about mm-hmm. a man interfering with a young woman, uh, it. it, it not as shocking as it was in the 40s, but still had the power to really shock. And now we've mm-hmm. gone through a real revolution, which I think has been led by altar boys, to tell you the truth. Former altar boys um, mm-hmm. who are now men who've come forward and so many women who've come forward that have brought us from this culture of being sexual abuse victims to a culture of sexual abuse survivors. Yep. And I'm wondering, does the play still pack the same punch? Is it still as powerful now as it was back at the turn of the century, I, I would say. Well, like, by the way, Mary Stewart, Mar- 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 she, Mary Louise Parker, she's now, I guess, the age that David Morse was when they did this the first time. <laughs> exactly. See, this is like, I, you know, I don't know. I guess there is a total desensitization. You know what I'm saying? We're not as sensitive as we were 20 years ago to a lot of things, right. you know. And I think that that's one of the weird things about the a revival that like this. Like, I'm not sure how it, it lands with other people because, again, you know, we, 
you know, we've got those bills that are being passed in all these states now where, you know, you can be 12 and get married. So like, yeah, <laughs> you, Hello, you know what I mean? So like, yeah. I don't know how it ultimately kind of lands with the rest of the world, but it's still creepy as hell. It was creepy to me because it's, it's like the, the idea of the grooming that I thought was really kind of, it, it just yeah. was so gross. You know what I mean? And it's like, and the way that they storytell, it's, it's that back and forth in time thing that they're doing, you know, like you're driving the sh a stick shift of a car and you're right. moving in that direction. And so they're playing with all of that. And I just, it's just, I was creeped out, you know, <laughs> it's like, which I guess is the point. <laughs> but like I said, you know, th these may not necessarily be the choices of the average theater goer that comes to New York to see a show. Right. You know, they want to see the music man. They want right, to see funny girl. They want to see stuff like that. That's comfort. Some Whereas do, but, but some people, some people challenge. do. Uh, let me let me stand up for tourists a little bit because I was a kid on Long Island who would come into the city to see Sam Shepard plays. You know, when I was a teenager. I mean, yeah, some, people, some people do come. No, no, some people who like the arts come to, as tourists to New York to see the kind of theater <clears throat> that's not going to make it to the local community theater company. You know what I mean? Like, so you can always see Oklahoma if you live in Oklahoma. Some people have right. to come to New York to see that kind of drama. Well, but I mean, again, though. To me, I think that's a smaller number versus the general tourists that are coming. Because, you know, right now on Broadway, we have Mrs. Doubtfire. That's a name yes. that people come travel to see. We've yes. got MJ, the musical. So everybody's coming to see the Michael Jackson thing. There's still Tina. So there's there are people, even my sister who's coming in, in June, like she's already got MJ and Tina on her list of things to see. You know, whereas I think she would probably enjoy for colored girls, but that's not something that would be right on the top of her radar, right. just as a regular theater person. Whereas, like you said, the more astute theater person is going to come and see these particular productions and walk away with a whole lot of stuff. But for me, for colored girls is is the one that you're going to really see a lot of attention oh, being great. played to. I hope so. So, you know, good kudos on both, honey. But I'm I'm excited because I'm going to get to see. Uh, a Strange Loop this week. Oh, my friends um, just saw that show today. And I might get to see Funny Girl next week, but I'll know nice. for sure by next Wednesday. So I if I get to see, to see it, then we're going. I was you supposed to see, see Funny Girl two weeks ago, and then I got the Rona. You got the COVID. Go. Yeah. yeah. I was able to go. Um, I, I just realized, guys, the common yes. thread here, how yes. this all relates back to me. Oh, because how... it is all about you, Chris. That's right. <laughs> how I Learned to Drive is at the Manhattan Theater Club. Right. Is that true? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, uh -huh. where I, that's where I saw Blackbird. Oh, no way. I yeah. saw Blackbird, too. Wasn't it amazing? That was the first time Jeff Daniels did our show was for Blackbird. Uh, when I saw it, it was Jeff Daniels and Allison Pill. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah was I saw it on Broadway when Michelle show. Williams took over. Yeah. That show was creepy. That was another one. <laughs> it was like, with because I saw it with him and Michelle Williams. Yeah, that's what I saw. And I just was like, it, it it was one of those shows that at the the last scene of the show, it was wonderful to listen to everybody in the audience gasp because it was like you know there was that horrible scene you know where we finally find out who this guy's been talking about all through the show and then the girl shows up and everybody in the room just was like, oh my god, <laughs> like, yeah. yes that's that's what you want a theatrical experience to collectively get all of these people in a room to see a story and go through that whole story journey and just be like, wow, just wow. I don't want to give the ending of that away either because 
that was a very pivotal moment in that piece that you kind of sit through a lot of stuff that that those two characters go through and then this that last scene happens and you just kind of go oh my god yeah <laughs> well like, you know I, I actually think that stop ruining it I actually think it's very, very, it relates a lot to what's going on right now because grooming yeah. is a word that if you didn't know before, you know it now. And it's largely due to homophobes and transphobes in the Republican Party, mm-hmm. the anti-transgender movement and, and the anti-gay movement have always been fueled by these um, scary anecdotes about predators mm-hmm. uh, in restrooms or adults pressuring children um, to do things. Although they're really... There, there's there's you you can't really groom a child to be transgender i'd like to point that out um you can't you cannot groom a child to be gay a child is either going to be gay or not it's like saying i'm going to groom a child to be straight it doesn't work you can't do it and right. i want to also remind people that more republican senators have been arrested in public restrooms mm-hmm. than transgender mm-hmm. women but yep. um and attacking though, people's children yes Just saying. yes so, I mean, there's no good reason for anyone, even if they pretend to be Christian, to hate transgender people who are just minding their own business. That's that's yeah. what bigotry is. But I, I find lately, really just the last month and a half, the word grooming has become so ubiquitous in the news and in political discourse about discussing LGBT issues in the public mm-hmm. schools. Now, Keith, you know, we've talked about this, this don't say gay law in Florida. Yes. Which, um, which Ugh. you know, Ron DeSantis <laughs> is very mad, saying it. It's not "don't say gay." Don't say "don't say gay." Uh, <laughs> and in fairness, it's not a "don't say gay" bill. It's a "go ahead and say gay," and we will allow any bigoted Yahoo to sue the fuck out of you and your school district, mm-hmm. and the local taxpayers will foot the bill. But exactly, this bill, this law, rather, it it explicitly forbids any mention of uh, gay people or trans people to uh, kindergarten through third grade. And, and the pretense of this is we're not bigoted, we're not bigoted, but what they're saying is if you acknowledge that gender transitioning is a thing, if you mm-hmm. acknowledge that there are same-sex couples, that's the same as pedophilia. That's the same as grooming. And, and Keith, my whole life as a straight boy, um, I can tell you that uh, millions and millions and millions of straight people have been groomed Children are groomed to hate gay people my whole mm-hmm. life. Children are being groomed right now to despise trans people who have never bothered them. But grooming right. as a term is just always loaded with the notion of pedophilia. And our conservative culture thinks that's just great. Yeah, they, they, they think that's great, but they don't actually realize that it's again, it goes back to my minister growing up at the Mount Moriah Missionary Baptist Church and Reverend Gates used to say to us that when you point the finger at someone, there's three fingers pointing back at you. So as much as these people are spending their time trying to um, point the finger at gay people and and anti-trans people, what they're actually, you know, trying to create hate around that is that's them dealing with that issue on themselves. Like they, like you say, all all folks want to do is, I, I just want to go to brunch you know, hold the hand of whoever it is I'm dating or stooping or whatever's going on. And, you know, possibly I'm, you know, I'm all about Mykonos in the summertime. I'm just saying, you know, if if it's going to be that way, but it, but the idea that 
this whole destruction of their fiber of life, what they, they're calling their lives that we allegedly are doing to them, it, it isn't us, it's them. It's their, their anger and their hate that's fueling all this craziness within their particular space that's spilling out into us. And it's yes. like, you know, we are the catalyst for their crazy, but it's not us that's doing anything. Exactly, it, exactly. Know? Well, and I, but it, and it's, I don't know what to do with that, the, except for I want to like, I, I mean, at this point now, we're at the place where we're going to have to just start taking some people's, you know, taking some toys away from people like just, you know, and I don't know how you got to get the toys out of the kids hands. If you got to beat them to take it out of it, then maybe that's perhaps what you may have to do. However, people like DeSantis and, and uh, Governor Abbott and that crazy broad and was it one of the Dakotas? I don't even know what that crazy broad's name Christy is. No. Like, Christy no. like those people need to just be picked up and just put someplace else. Now, yeah. I don't know how we could do that. <laughs> it's like, but they have to go. Their their energy is not going to move this country forward. And the more idiots that are supporting them for whatever reasons they're choosing to support them, you know, this is going to be on them. This is on them because gay people are going to still be here. Trans people are going to still be here. And what's going to happen is you're going to keep fucking with us. And then eventually we're just going to haul off and start slapping motherfuckers. Uh Because that's what's going to have to happen. It's like, I'm going to start carrying a bat around like the guy in in, uh, Walking Dead. That's, you know, the steel bat that also has the barbed wire around the end of it. Because that's what's going to have to happen. We're going to have to start to... Because again, they're going to keep coming at us and keep coming to us until we have no choice but to respond. It's kind of well, like with, with yeah. black folks, you know, people have slowed their stuff down about black people and getting scared by black folks because black folks are fighting back. You know, black folks are arguing, black folks are setting shit on fire. And so all of a sudden now you want to have discourse and we want to have to try that's to right. find a way to find peace. It's like, well, that's because people started busting some heads and tearing up some buildings. And it's that's like, right. eventually gay and trans people are going to be doing the same thing. You know, I, I love this conversation. I love this mm-hmm. conversation um, you know? because, well, let, let's let's unpack it a little bit more, Keith, if you don't mind, because sure. <clears throat> the most common definition of grooming. Let's really break this down, because this is what this whole deeply uh, bigoted law in Florida is about. Right. Um, and it is anti-gay. They mm-hmm. say it's not anti-gay. They say it's anti-grooming. But the most common definition of grooming is when a, an, an adult tries to nurture a uh, a friendly connection with a child in the hopes that eventually it'll go sexual. That's pedophilia. Yeah. Now, this is why it's so evil when Ron DeSantis and the right-wing people are talking about the grooming law because pedophilia has nothing to do with LGBT identity. Exactly. And it, it, in terms of the trans uh, bigotry, Keith, I, I could be wrong here, but it's not possible to, for an adult to uh, groom or pressure a child into gender conversion, is it? A grown-up no. can't talk a child into being trans. You're either trans or you're gay or you're not. The only time you've ever heard something like that happen is when some, some child at birth has some sort of, some sort of um, uh, like a... a one of the uh, organs or something that they decided, you know, they have to decide then whether or not they're going to keep it or take it out. And you wind up having kids that grow up like feeling that they're 
girls or feeling that they're boys. And in actuality, it's because they've made some sort of surgical decision that these kids have nothing to do with. And right. that's, that's what happens. And so, you know, you know, it's not just that it's just, but I mean, when people are in their bodies and they don't, and it's, that's the thing as a gay guy, I don't understand what it means to be trans what it means to have a gender dysmorphia. I know what my body dysmorphia is, but that's because I'm a big old chubbo, but I'm just saying in terms of, of, not feeling like I'm supposed to be inside my own body. I have no idea what that feels like. But at yeah. the same time, I'm not judging it. And it's like, if it makes whoever it is happy to figure out what that is, and they, there's resources for them to figure it out, then God bless you, because now you can live your life and do what you need to do. Right on. And the best right part is, is there's fans for all of them, <clears throat> you know? Right. But, but this is where the bigots come in, because there's one thing to say that we're going to allow a child to be who they are, Right. But the bigots are suggesting that no adults are trying to pressure children to be something they're not. And that's not really what's happening. That's not a real problem. And if it was a real problem, this law wouldn't fix it. Now, parents in these states, if they want, are allowed to report teachers who discuss anything pertaining to LGBT issues if it bothers Mm -hmm. them because they can claim it's grooming. So. One of the things about this is that now um, uh, there's no reason why you can't sue teachers and sue school districts because here's what they say. Ron DeSantis and the bigots all say it's not anti-gay. You're not supposed to discuss sexuality or sexual orientation or gender identity with K through three. But doesn't that mean you could? (laughs) Well, I'll get to that in a second. Doesn't that mean that then you could sue them for discussing straight relationships if a teacher talks about having uh, a mommy and a daddy that's sexual identity if a teacher talks about you know i'm a woman that's gender identity so you could actually sue teachers for talking about straight stuff but of course no one will because that shows that the law was literally designed to persecute gay people and you said i don't know why we're the catalyst for it you're not Mm -hmm. LGBT people are not the catalyst for these laws. The catalyst for these laws is that the Republican Party has nothing to offer hardworking, conservative white people. So you've got this culture war, like the anti-trans bathroom bills, Mm -hmm. the critical race theory nonsense, the don't say gay Mm -hmm. bill. It's all looks like it's the conservatives are trying to drive this behavior out of public life. What it's really doing is appealing to the worst in these white people to make them think they're doing something. And, and, Like, none of these are problems. So critical race theory is really, we want you to stop talking about institutional racism. And the bathroom panic is stop being transgender in public. And this grooming nonsense is stop talking about LGBT issues anywhere near children. But none of these are problems. None of these are problems. And Democrats have just been standing around in clown shoes, not knowing how to fight back until Michigan State Senator Mallory McMorrow Yes. Gave a speech that is the have you no decency moment for our generation. Mm -hmm. I want to play a little bit of it. This woman is going to be running for national office. This is an epic takedown. And this actually shows how you call out these right wing degenerates for the fake Christians they really are. Give a quick listen. State Senator Mallory McMorrow of Michigan. Thank you, Mr. President. 
I didn't expect to wake up yesterday to the news that the senator from the 22nd District had overnight accused me by name of grooming and sexualizing children in an email fundraising for herself. So Boom. I sat on it for a while wondering why me? And then I realized because I am the biggest threat to your hollow, hateful scheme. Because you can't claim that you are targeting marginalized kids in the name of, quote, parental rights if another parent is standing up to say no. So then what? Then you dehumanize and marginalize me. You say that I'm one of them. You say she's a groomer. She supports pedophilia. She wants children to believe that they were responsible for slavery and to feel bad about themselves because they're white. Well, here's a little bit of background about who I really am. Growing up, my family was very active in our church. I sang in the choir. My mom taught CCD. One day, our priest called a meeting with my mom and told her that she was not living up to the church's expectations and that she was disappointing. My mom asked why. Among other reasons, she was told it was because she was divorced and because the priest didn't see her at mass every Sunday. So where was my mom on Sundays? She was at the soup kitchen with me. My mom taught me at a very young age that Christianity and faith was about being part of a community, about recognizing our privilege and blessings and doing what we can to be of service to others, boom, especially boom, people boom. who are marginalized, targeted, and who had less often unfairly. I learned that service was far more important than performative nonsense like being Boom. seen in the same pew every Sunday or writing Christian in your Twitter bio and using that as a shield to target and marginalize already marginalized people. I also it, stand on the shoulders of people like Father Ted Hesburgh, the longtime president of the University of Notre Dame, who was active in the civil rights movement, who recognized his power and privilege as a white man, a faith leader, and the head of an influential and well-respected institution and who saw black people in this country being targeted and discriminated against and beaten and reached out to lock arms with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. when he was alive, when it was unpopular and risky and marching alongside them to say, we've got you. Democrats, this is how you fucking do it. Amen. Amen. She just she zeroed in on them. Get the hypocrisy in it and out of them. Because that, and you that's start by is. calling out the fake Christianity, Keith. You start by calling out the fake Christianity and the fact that they're all on the hustle just to get donations. Exactly. I, I saw a tweet, uh, the tweet that you did to Marco Rubio after he tried his Bible quote about what, you know, when I was hungry, you gave me food and all this other kind of stuff. And it's me, a stranger. And you were just like... Bitch, please. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, well, you know, I mean, of all the, of all the verses that Marco Rubio doesn't get to quote, Matthew twenty five is number one, and because that's where <laughs> Jesus actually gives his marching orders, and Marco quotes it. For I was hungry and you gave me food; I was thirsty and you gave me drink; a stranger and you welcomed me. And my response was, I was sick and you voted to gut my health care. I was an immigrant and you rejected your own reform bill. I was poor and you cut taxes for rich people. We got to call these motherfuckers out, Keith, because they are I'm not Christian. They are not patriots and they have to be scorned for the hypocrites and grifters that they are. Because that's how you handle their attacks. That's how you fight the cut back in the culture war. That's how you do not turn yourself into a punching bag. And that's mm -hmm. how you inspire people to show up and vote this November. Amen. Because she she did it. It's like, you know where I was on Sunday? We were at the soup kitchen. What were y'all doing? 
boom. We, we were locking hit a... hands with 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 MLK. What were you doing? What were you? And it, that's the thing. It's like it is not what they're saying. It's actually what they're doing, and what they're doing is nothing. Exactly. <laughs> we doing... gotta we gotta hit a break. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Emily in Denver, thank you for your patience. Hey there. Hey. So my comment, uh, Please. from my perspective, I'm a mom of three, 60, just turned 60. Um, nice. My oldest is gay. My baby is gay. My middle one is a hippie wook that sells gems. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. I want to hang out at your house for Christmas. Oh, no. I have a really good house. You know, I've fostered probably 18. Not what? We fostered, just moved into my house. So I'm mama to a whole bunch of people. You're like and, one of the best Christians I ever met. Well, yeah, actually I am. And my thing that I'm having a hard time with right now is having our, sort of our team, accepting the other, the other end, the other end, and saying that we are grooming, and now we're defending, defending grooming. Now we're defending grooming. That's all a lie. I knew my baby, I knew my baby was gay when he was three. Mm -hmm. He came to it, came to it when he was in middle school, but my husband and I knew, and it was, and actually when he, decided to come out like publicly um he walked to the kitchen and my husband was watching tv and he looked at him and he goes dad you know i'm gay and phil goes yeah that was the whole conversation wow. it was not on him to do that can you so imagine can you imagine when we were kids can you imagine back when you were a kid if a, if a kid came out to their parents and it was that easy right but but even in my my kid's 26. Um, he's lucky that his star landed in my house. I'll say he is. Because there's still kids that are... I never came out straight. My yeah. baby shouldn't have had to come out gay. Right on. So accepting the othering, I think, is something that we, as a community, need to talk about. And we are, we are. We are. And by the well, way, Gen X, Gen X gets that credit. Gen X is the generation that broke homophobia. Well, Gen X is doing it. Gen X is doing it. They're doing it. They don't give a fuck. 
Yeah. Can I say that? Yeah. They don't. They don't. They don't. Um, however, the conversation politically, politically, and getting laws passed and yeah. looking at looking at. I remember sitting in the locker room of my gym when marriage was passed. Yeah. And I collapsed. I collapsed. Yeah. And I didn't mean to because I'm not dramatic. And I, I just collapsed. Yep. And by the way, and it was a Ronald Reagan appointee who wrote the majority decision on that. Never exactly. forget that this that homophobe not... who let 20,000 Americans die before he said AIDS. It was the guy he hired who wrote the majority opinion. Right. And that homophobe let a lot of people die. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was from Hollywood. He knew but... better. He knew better. But he was playing the fake Christian card. I got to hit a break. I raised my kids. I'm in Denver now, but I was in California when I was raising my kids. And I raised my kids at All Saints Church, mm-hmm. which is um, an Episcopal church on in California. And they were all raised um, with... Our our children's priest was a gay woman with children. Boom. Um, and funny but not funny story. Funny but not funny story. When my youngest was in college, um, he had to write a paper about the biggest thing that ever impacted his life. Right? Yeah. So he writes this paper, and he reads it to me later. He did not know. I moved them to Colorado when they he was in second grade. Okay. He did not know. He did not know that being gay was bad, quote unquote. Wow. Until I moved him to Colorado. He's the first generation, and, first generation of humanity to grow up with that. Right. And but in my home, it was never bad. And so he went through trauma that I didn't even know about wow. because in our house, it was always fine. Yeah. And he said to me when he was in college, Mom, you never told me that it was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. And I was you like, You sound like you're both great parents. Shoot, baby. Shoot, baby. I was supposed to tell you that. <laughs> Your story has made I my didn't night. I know I was supposed to tell you that. Your story has made my night. You know what? The fact that there's like young gay people who have no appreciation of how much struggle gay people had to go through in the 80s, it might be painful, but it proves there's progress. But my kid's still in danger. Of course. And my kid's in danger because of the legislation, but also because of the conversation that we are allowing around it. What do you mean? And we are allowing people to say... We're grooming oh, and yeah. not fighting it. Oh, we are. Well, some of us are fighting it, sister. Some of us are fighting back really hard because, you know, we got to point out every time they say that, uh, A, that it's a lie, and B, just to add, just come out and say, how does Ron DeSantis' don't say gay law prevent anyone from grooming? And what's no, more than that, what's more than that, r- well, grooming no, grooming is, is a, grooming grooming is a thing, thing. but grooming has, grooming. no, grooming's Nobody a thing. Nobody is grooming gay kids. Nobody is grooming. That is a that is a word that is being 
You oh, you cannot you cannot groom not... a child to be gay, and you cannot groom a child to be transgender. But you can groom a child so they'll trust you, and you can exploit them for sex. But that's pedophilia, and that has nothing to do with gender identity or LGBT identity. And that's all you got to say. Exactly. And, and then and then point out that these ugly, fake Christian laws do not prevent grooming in any way. But grooming is not a thing. Grooming is not grooming. Grooming is a thing, but we have to remind them that the overwhelming majority of of pedophiles in every culture that has ever kept records, the overwhelming majority of pedophiles are heterosexual identified men. That's how it's always been. They are the number one culprit, not gay people. Gay people have boyfriends.